Without the ones like you, who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. It's the podcast. Welcome to another edition of the BritFlix.com podcast. Today I've got with me Kerry Skinner and Stuart Alexander. Hello. Hello. And how are you today? Very good, thanks. Yeah, we haven't been flooded. You haven't been? No, 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 no. Uh, Leighton is still surviving where I am in North East London. Um, right, the reason we're talking is you've got a film called Common People. That's right, yeah. Do you want to give us a brief synopsis of what that film is? Before we go into um, any details? Yeah, I mean, it's a British sort of bittersweet comedy. Um, it's all set on a London common, hence the title Common People. And um, it brings together six different stories of disparate Londoners um, whose stories intertwine when they encounter an escaped parrot on this common. Right then. So, in terms <laughs> of the. Uh, it always meant when, when I read that first time round, it, 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 it stumped me, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> because you go London, 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 parrot. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so let, so, parrot that. <laughs> so let's start with that concept then. Um, where where did where did the idea start for a parrot on a common being a kind of uniforming thing for your stories? Well, funny enough, we actually live uh, near Tooting Common where it was shot. We've lived there for about fifteen years, okay. and it's where we go to walk and you know get ideas and things like that. And we were trying to make a much bigger film and we'd had to send a lot of money back to our investors. So we were looking for a micro-budget idea and walking around talking here. And we saw a poster for an escaped parrot on the common. Okay. And then, interestingly, it had said, you know, you can phone here and report sightings and please help us find it. We love this parrot. And then a few weeks later, what was lovely is we're walking along, we see another poster, picture of the same parrot. And it says it's been found and it was thanking everyone who'd reported the sightings and then come together as a big party to help rescue the parrot when they'd spotted it. And that was like a story to us right there that had a beginning and an ending where the community all comes together to help each other. And that actually inspired the film. That was our eureka moment. Yeah, there's, uh, there, there really is now Stranger Than Folk, is there? Exactly, yeah. <laughs> or parrots. So, so when you when you had that sort of basic frame of an idea, from a writing point of view, and I guess this is more for you, Stuart. Um, what, how, what what's your process of pulling that together? Then are you are you are you an outliner? Do you just jump in and start writing? Are you sitting down with Kerry? Uh, no, I I go off into a room on my own, and uh, I've written three screenplays now and I find that if I know what I'm doing so like in this case I knew if I have the beginning and the ending and I'm mm. filling in everything in between and if it's a good idea it usually comes fairly quickly and in this case we had this whole parrot as the unifying thing and I thought I'd had an idea that I wanted to tell some stories that reflected London and the UK and, and what's going on in real people's lives as they are today. Because I didn't feel that we were getting a lot of that in films. There's so many costume dramas or genre things that I actually wanted to do a sort of slice of London life. Hmm. And having walked on the common for so many years, you see the kind of people, you know, the mums and their kids and the philosophers who sit on the benches and talk about life and the, the old couple that have been coming to the same bench all their lives. So we, I had an idea the kind of characters I wanted to represent. So it was just filling in their stories and then their encounter with the parrot. So it had a, a real element of what was going on, but then the parrot gave it a sort of magical element as well. Yeah, because it, it, com- it comes across without, without, without necessarily being it on purpose, like, like a kind of old portmanteau-type movie, you know? Exactly, yeah, yeah. Um, what, what, would, what would be your... What were your key influences going into it? Because there is, I mean, you said in the beginning, uh, Kerry said in the beginning, it's kind of bittersweet in terms of its 
as a drama. Mm. Um, what were what were you what were you taking on board? In, you know, consciously or subconsciously, as influences on the film. I suppose. Well, the way we pitched it was uh, when we were uh, talking to people about it at first was that it was kind of you could hardly get two more ex extremes. It was kind of like shortcuts meets love actually. <laughs> <laughs> so it's got. There's a dark element to it, and there's a poignancy to it, and it is actually dealing with some of the hard facts going on in, in of life today in this country and the economy we're living in. So that would be the, the shortcuts element. Mm -hmm. But then there's also some romance and humor, and you know a little sugar to, to help the medicine go down. As it were. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's a, it's a fairly it's it's a fairly kind film, isn't it? In the in the I mean, it does have those dark element dark shades to it, mm. but but you're you leave, you leave us on an up, let's say, without any spoilers. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, that's that's certainly what we're aiming for. Yeah. <laughs> and and from from um, going back to the writing process again, um, how, how many drafts were you were you doing on this before you're ready to go? Uh, quite a few. What we do is I I I write it all, sit in a room, and then Carrie. This is where Carrie comes in. She's a fantastic script editor, and. So I hone it down and she says, oh, well, you need a bit more of this or you need a laugh there or this character isn't working. Or In the end, there was a whole story which didn't work, which I kept trying and trying and trying. I was trying to do something about youth and the, the, it was around the time of the London riots that I was writing it and trying to reflect on that. And in, in the end, Kerry, quite bravely to, to, for anyone to say this to any writer, said, look, if we cut out this whole story, which was 30 pages <laughs> that I've been slaving over, then I think the film will work. And, and the reason was, she said, this story that you've tried to done, this could happen anywhere, whereas the rest of it actually feels like it belongs on the common. And, uh, and she was absolutely right. And it took it from a 120-page script, which I don't think we would have ever got into the can, to a 90-page script, just like that. So once, once I've done that first big draft and we know what the whole story is, then that's where we redraft and Kerry comes in and really helps me to, to fine-tune it. And uh, yeah, it's always always uh, it's always a pain, but it always has to be done, isn't it? The, the the killing of babies, as it were, in the writing terms. Yeah, yeah. But she was, if you know, if you can sit back, she was so right. And you know, mm. thirty pages, man, that's a lot of work. But... No, no, no. I mean, I can imagine. Uh, so, so taking taking that when you've got the script, then so sort of um, going into pre production on this. I mean, you mentioned in the in the opening about investors and stuff, and and obviously, I'm reading it's a micro budget film. Mm. Um, what did you have backers for the film, or was this really a sort of leap into the unknown and seeing what you could get as you did it? Um, we did sort of draw up a budget before doing it for the absolute minimum, minimum that we could do the shoot for. Yeah. Um, and then we um, did actually go and pitch for a business angel investment network. Okay. And um, it was kind of Dragon's Den style thing. Mm. Um, where there was lots of other companies pitching. Most of them were kind of IT and pharmaceuticals, and I think we were kind of the novelty act at the end. Yeah. Um, but no, we did... I, I saw a, a Richard Holmes presentation about these angel groups. Yeah, it's, it's, right. It's a novel yeah, thing, I mean, but keep going, sorry. No, it's quite interesting, but it's also sort of quite daunting because you do kind of, as you see the other groups pitch, because you watch every group pitch, and you kind of go, oh, dear. <laughs> okay, we, we don't fit into this mould. But actually, it went down really well and we picked up the majority of the investment we needed from that one pitch um and then the the rest of it was kind of friends and family investors who who sort of wanted to get involved in the film um but we did kind of pitch it quite uniquely in that we kind of split the investment so what we pitched initially was okay give us enough the bare minimum we need to literally just shoot the film get it in the can and get to a rough cut um and then we'll have a screening for you and if you like the film, then we'd ask you to double your investments so we can do full post-production. So obviously all the colour correction and surround sound and an orchestra for the score. Because, okay. um, I mean, my way of putting it to the investors was, well, that way you get to look at it, decide whether you want to double up and, and then we're not polishing a turd. Mm. You know. Um, <laughs> for want of a better phrase. Yeah. <laughs> and um, so... I mean, that was a very daunting way to do it because, of course, you know, we had this and we didn't know whether we were going to get to complete it. But um, and it's a, also it's the, a really project, real pragmatic project management based approach, isn't it? And, and it, 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 
something I've learned over the last couple of years is that any new film is in fact just a startup business. The fact that there have been yeah. hundreds of films before doesn't matter. Yeah. Your, your idea is just saying to someone, it's going to cost this, it will make why. Yeah. Somebody, yeah. And somebody says, well, I'll, I'll punt on that. Just like as if you'd said, I've invented a new software. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> that's what we did. I think what was in, is important to them is we actually did take the time. We wrote up a business plan. We we scripted our pitch for investors and everything else. So uh, a lot of them had, you know, were experts in IT and you know investing in all sorts of things, but had never invested in a film before. And they were convinced by the business model. And they were also investing in us. Like we did the pitch, but then we chatted to them for you know an hour or two and then on the phone and everything after the, the angel event. So mm. it was quite interesting. And then as Kerry said, when they came to see the screening, one of them who had invested quite a bit and a complete stranger said, well, I don't know anything about film. How am I supposed to judge? And I said, well, anyone can, you know, tell if someone tells you a story, if the story is any good. So come and see the story we've made. And if, if you like it and you think it's got a chance, then it's up to you. And that was exactly the response. It's like, Oh yeah, nice story. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> if only life was that simple. Eh? Yeah. Yeah. Good, good, good for you. Good for you. Um, so, so then you've you've got you've got your um, your shooting budget in place. Your shooting budget met, I guess, and um, some mm. funds in place. So, how how long was the shoot then, and 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 how did you go about sort of shooting in in, in public land, as it were? Uh, well, the shoot was um, 18 days, so that was tight anyway for Whoa, a feature. 18 days, yes. Yeah, but unfortunately, we we shot the film in April 2012, which was then described by the Met Office as the wettest April since records began. Oh, gee whiz. And the entire film, of course, is, is entirely shot outdoors. So we were really at the mercy of the elements. I mean, we'd had the most beautiful march just prior to filming. We were kind of scouting on the com and going, wow, it's going to be glorious. And then... <coughs> Literally two days into the shoot, it all changed. And I think the first two days were sunny, and then for the rest of the shoot, it was hailstones, kind of five and six degrees, I mean, freezing, and and constantly changeable weather, like pouring one minute bright sunshine the next, which for shooting a film, obviously, is a complete nightmare. Um, so I think probably we ended up shooting it due to lost time in about 12 days, um, which meant there were compromises, unfortunately, on things that, that we wanted to shoot that we didn't get time to shoot. And also it meant that our actors kind of, it was like, okay, you kind of need to be one take wonders. <laughs> really? <laughs> okay. Yeah, I mean, we're fortunately, what we did was, with the actors was we, we rehearsed with all of them prior to the shoot. Okay. Which meant that everyone was on the same page so that, you know, when it was literally stood under umbrellas waiting for the hail to stop, then the moment that stopped, everyone was kind of out in their positions ready to go and everyone knew you know what was expected and what was needed so it did I think that prep time prior to the shoot was invaluable in terms of us actually getting the film in the can. And in terms of what you're saying about filming outdoors and in public and things is one we had a fantastic support from the local council they read the script they loved it they thought you know this is a real celebration of parks and common land in London and that was you know the way we pitched it to them and, and they got that out of the script so they gave us an amazing deal to let us shoot on the common and then I think <laughs> the weather being so awful meant the public didn't really know we were there so we didn't actually have too many of those interruptions you can get when you are filming the public we had a few we had angry Santa and a few other people who you know didn't like it but for the most part we it was like well everyone was indoors because it was such horrible weather we were the only idiots out of shooting a film well in in in, in uh, i guess testimony to you then I, having watched the film i would never have guessed that you shot it in an awful month for weather <laughs> i know well actually it was funny because when we did the cast and crew screening um they were going no we didn't we didn't shoot in that because actually the film itself looks incredibly bright and sunny. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think it was literally, it was because because it was so wet for a lot of the time, we just couldn't film. We, we, we just couldn't get the equipment out. Yeah. Um, but because it was so windy and changeable that it would literally, you know, the, the, the skies would part, you would have this glorious sunshine and it was like, okay, guys, run and shoot <laughs> was, was the kind of thing. So I think a lot of it ended up being shot in the, in the sunshine because we couldn't shoot in the rain so actually i think that a lot of it 
it looked sunny because that was the only time we could shoot during the day. Also, we shot on the Arri Alexa, which is an amazing camera, which um, in post we could make even the dull days look an awful lot brighter than they were. How You said you didn't shoot some stuff because of time and, and, and the weather mm. constraints, but did it have any impact on, did, did the change in weather and the need to speed up production have any impact on how you're going to direct the film? Um, pro I, I, probably not. I mean, I think it's it, it's, it's tricky because it's it was our first feature film, and you know, so we're we're inexperienced, but we have each other. But with the the what we decided at some point is we've got to get the main narrative. So it meant that we might if we could drop little bits that were there were more bits joining the stories together and things like that. But let's get the main narrative and the stories so so that we get the script we made. And we were very lucky to be surrounded by really experienced people. Just talking about the weather, I remember our DOP, Andrew Johnson, who he, he said, look, we, we have to wait, wait till the sun comes out. It'll be worth it. Otherwise, it'll never match. And, you know, there's a panic of people mm. going, well, okay, it's just a bit cloudy, but let's go out. Well, let's get something shot. He'd be like, no, wait, we'll be better off. Wait for the." So that's kind of why that worked. And we, we yeah. really, we had a fantastic cast and crew. And, I mean, I suppose we did have to adapt in terms of, you know, we're looking at our storyboards and we're looking at our shot list. Mm. Um, and, you know, ideally we'd get X amount of coverage on yeah. a particular scene. And then you suddenly go, do you know what? We've just got to get this scene. Um, yeah. So you would have to then kind of perhaps refer back to that and then go to like, well, OK, we need these basic shots that we can cut to to tell this, you know, this story in this scene. And perhaps, you know, more creative ideas had to go out the window just to, you know, to get the practicality of shooting the scene. So I think, you know, if we'd have had glorious weather and, and a longer schedule, then there would have, we would have been able to do more. But, you know, at some point you've just got to go, look, do we want to have a half finished film or do we want to have a film in the can? Um, and we had to get the film in the can. So of course. But the, interestingly, the, uh, especially if you've seen it, there's, there's, uh, yeah, there's things where we know the take that's in there is it's because it's the only take we had, and the light was dying, and it was too dark, and we just did it one way. Mm. And and sometimes we watch it and go, oh, if only we'd had you know more and could have done more angles. But then there's one of the uh, shots that sets up the, the you know the funniness in the film is uh, this guy throwing a ball for his dog Trevor, and that was supposed to be I think four different angles, five different angles according to the storyboard. It was the last shot of the day we had no time and we just said okay put the camera back wide a shot you can get and let's see what happens and it really works because thankfully the dog sort of runs just to the end of frame and then runs back and then runs the and so that you know sometimes it's lucky you're forced into a corner but it works happy happy accident yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess, with with the outdoors and the weather, you had you you created a holy trinity, didn't you, with uh, working with animals, children, and now the <laughs> outdoors. Yeah, and the I, we did. You know, about three days into filming, go, what on earth are we doing? Um, this and 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 saying that actually, this isn't a micro budget film. We've got a cast of thirty plus five dogs, ten children, and mm. it's entirely outdoors. You know, and with planes and trains. You know, our poor sound guy, and. Um, and the weather, we're just like, you know, we should be looking at a six-month shoot here. And <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, it was, it was, I suppose, slightly crazy for our first film to do all that. But um, um, actually, working with the children was pretty amazing because um, it was, as I say, the weather was awful, and we just thought, well, actually, when they come on set, it's freezing, and all of you know. The burly guys on the crew are kind of going, you know, it's just too cold for us. And these kids come on and they're wearing T-shirts for their costumes and they don't seem to feel it. And they're just running around, <laughs> having the time of their lives, you know, ready for every take. And actually they were fantastic and I think completely lifted all of our spirits when we needed it most. Um, the dogs and parrots, fabulous as they are, very, 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 you know, tricky. <laughs> I have to ask, how did you shoot the uh, the parrot point of view? Uh, that was actually, we had a guy who does some aerial photography who kind of flies remote control helicopters. Ah, uh, okay. Yeah, and basically he, he came down, for, it was our final day of the film, because it was our one day when we were kind of, it was due to be sunny. Mm -hmm. um, and he, um, it was basically putting an HD GoPro camera yeah. on, onto the remote control helicopter, and then he flew it 
sort of overall the locations that we then go and visit in the film. So it was a fairly sort of actually simple way of getting that that sort of parrot's eye point of view, really. No, because right. it's kind of low, and I just thought, I've got something how you'd done it. Yeah, no, it was fantastic. It was very lucky. Our producer, Darren McLeod, found him, and they went out and did it together while we were shooting. It was, it was our only second unit day, was mm. Roger and Darren doing that. And what made it tricky, of course, with the GoPro, they had no monitors, so they weren't quite sure what they were getting until the helicopter came down, they put it, took it out, the card out, put it in the computer. But it really worked, and uh, it, it is, uh, we've been finding it in the Q&As for the film, everyone asks about that shot, and, you know, we've had some people say, oh, well, that, that opening shot sort of does it. I settle after that and think, all right, that, that takes you into the film. Yeah, I mean, it, and it adds, it adds a, 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 given how you said you did it, 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 watching it cold then, as I did, it sort of adds a production value to it as well. And that's what we were worried about. We thought, is a GoPro going to match, an, you know, you, an Ari Alexa, you can hardly get, you know, our producer was really worrying about this. You can hardly get two further parts of the spectrum for a picture, but... You know, we, we well partly we said, well, it's the parrot's point of view, so maybe people will they'll forgive the difference. It's <laughs> yeah. the parrot's eye point of view. But most of the time, people just go, "Wow, how did you do that?" So uh, I don't think they're even taking in the difference in picture quality. So, so from a practical point of view, then I mean, people listening who, who will, will hear you say you shot it in April two thousand and twelve, and here we are talking about it coming out January two thousand and fourteen. Yeah, and given what you've told me already, um, you you. You were making it on the promise that the next bit of investment was based on people's views of the, the rough cut. Yeah. What was the process like then between between then and now? And what's been the main challenges going through it, obviously? Um, well, we got to sort of a rough cut, which we screened um, for investors. I think it was at the, July, was, the 4th. July the 4th mm. um, at the small screening room at the BFI. Okay. And... Um, and that was the kind of nerve-wracking, will they, won't they put their hands in their pockets, you know, and they all came out and did, uh, which was fantastic. So then it was just the process of sort of getting that that money in and then finding a post-production house, because again, still, we were on micro-budget for post-production, finding, you know, a good post-deal so that we could get everything done. Um, we had a fantastic composer, so we were keen to get him um, a full orchestra, which we managed to do on that. It's an 18-piece orchestra in the film, which is, uh, you know, again, for micro-budget, it really makes a difference in terms of the, the quality. And we loved his score. We thought it deserved it. So yeah, that was fantastic. That was very exciting as well, going and recording an orchestra. No, there is something different about, about synthesised versus real. Yeah. 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 So, I mean, that, that I suppose, post-production took us... Because we were doing it again on the cheap, it kind of meant that any work that we wanted done, we took sort of a back seat to any of the, you know, the, the big players who were paying the full bucks. So that meant the post-production was quite a slow process, which probably took from July till, I suppose, till end of December yes. of that year. Uh, whereas, you know, normally if you're kind of going straight in, it can be reasonably quick, but actually for us it was quite slow. Mm. And funny enough, the grade in terms of the picture, that took a week and that was brilliant and uh, it, it came together wonderfully and it, it looked gorgeous. What what was more complicated, because we haven't even touched on this yet, is filming outdoors, is was the sound and yeah. getting the sound really polished up and getting rid of. We were shooting between two train, uh, train lines and under a major uh, route into Gatwick Airport. So... Evening up the sound, getting rid of the planes where you couldn't get rid of the planes, making sure the planes went through, you know, both people's dialogue in the scene. That it that took ages. And we also really set our, our sound designer a, a task where we wanted not just the look of the common, we wanted all the bird song and for people when they're sat there to to really feel the sounds of the common around them. So that I mean that's actually what took the majority of the time. Yeah, the sound design and the sound cleanup was a massive job because again because it was micro budget we knew we didn't have the money to do loads and loads of ADR yeah um so <laughs> in the end we didn't do any, any ADR, ADR which oh, well done. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well yeah was... well that was thanks to kind of Merlin Mark and Darren who kind of were sort of they all worked on the sound you know sound recorders and also sound design and then sound cleanup um so that's all credit to them really and that that was a long long job um 
so yeah I suppose we were kind of at the point where we were we'd completed the film sort of end of December beginning of January 2013 so about a year ago um and then the process from there was screening for sales agents um we played a couple of uh, US festivals um, and we're lucky enough to sort of be nominated for and win awards at those. And then we got a sales agent and then we went the traditional route for a while with them where we went and screened it at Cannes in the Marche and then at Luff, which is a big sort of London market at the BFI. How, how, did, it, how did you get on at Cannes? Oh, it's mental. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's kind of, it's really you're sort of screaming to make yourself heard. And actually when you're, as small as we are, you know, mm. a tiny budget film with no major stars in it, you're kind of screaming into a void in a way because um, there's so much competition. I mean, we we had a small screening room that sat about 40 people and we probably had sort of 30 people dipping in and out because the way that people watch films at Cannes is they don't sit down and watch your movie in its entirety. They do if you're on the red carpet, but if yeah. you're in Marche it's the buyers kind of go, well, I'll watch five minutes of this one, five minutes of that one. And they kind of watch segments of the film and then go, I'll buy this one. Yeah. <laughs> um, Crazy. Because, you know, we had a guy come in 10 minutes from the end. We thought, yeah. well, what, what can you possibly tell at this point? Yeah. And it's tricky with a film like ours as well, because there's so many different stories that it's kind of, depending on which story you walk in on, it might give you a completely skewed sort of picture of the film as a whole. Mm. Um so we didn't we didn't get any bites from um Cannes, but I to be honest, I don't know whether anyone that would have bitten saw it at Cannes. I mean we had lovely rejection letters after Luff and the Weinsteins. I mean there were still rejections, but at least the Weinsteins were had looked at it, yeah. Looked at it and mm. liked it. Just the difficulty again with it being so small is 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 a distributor gonna put up a massive um, you know, P and A PR budget on a tiny film or are they going to put it on one that's got Brad can you, Pitt can you, can you expand upon Luff just, just to give people I mean, obviously everybody knows about Cannes and possibly even Berlin but I'm not sure the London one for people outside of film well the, the yeah. London UK film focus is uh, put on by the BFI and it's they screen I think it was about 30 films over three days. Oh, yeah, maybe more than that. And they invite all these distributors from around the world to come to <coughs> London and uh, you know have entertainment for them in the evenings and then just get them into the, the cinema on the South Bank at the, the NFT and just show them all these British films. Yeah, I mean, it's not, it doesn't have a festival attached like Cannes does, which is perhaps why it's not as well known because obviously Cannes has the festival and the Marche mm. and most people know about the festival at, at least. Of course, yeah. Whereas Luff isn't, isn't open, there's no public screenings, there's no festival attached, it's literally just a market. So... The BFI is kind of a closed shop, which is just buyers are fed into the cinemas to watch film all day, really. And to be frank, that, you know where your film is, that's who you want to see the film, don't you? I mean, well, exactly, exactly. And and the good thing about Luff is it does. They, they, I think they do take some foreign films, but it is majority British film that they support. So you yeah. are kind of the buyers are in theory then coming to buy British films. So it's you know it's a great thing. I mean, only asked, I only asked Dennis to talk about it because I, only, I must admit, I only discovered it myself last year. So it's yeah. kind of, and, and I was, I was kind of told with wagging fingers that I should know about this. So I thought, well, I'm. There's okay. actually quite a lot of things that go on that you don't, no one knows about until you start looking into it. I mean, we've even discovered things our sales agent who had like ten year, twenty years of experience didn't know about. And they go, all oh, right, I didn't even realise that was going on. I, I think it's only once you start doing these things that. Yeah. Uh, you realise they're there. Um, but yeah, and the, the tricky thing about Luff, of course, is that there's four films playing in each slot, and I think it's like two documentary and two fiction. Yeah. So you'll have some buyers there who they mainly deal in documentary, and then we were, we were thrilled. We were on a sort of Tuesday at two in the afternoon, the second day, we thought, that's perfect. And then we got the programme, and we uh, noticed we were up against probably the hottest film that this year's left, which was... The Powder Room. The Powder Room. Oh, right, OK. So um, we were like, no one's coming to our house then. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and the Powder Room, we heard, was packed. And we got the 20 people who had already seen the Powder Room somewhere else. <laughs> so, it's, you know, it's... Oh, it's tough. It's tough, yeah. <laughs> Which is why I think in a long-winded 
route. That's why now sort of, you know, almost two years since we shot the film, we're now self-distributing it, you know, in London ourselves. So it's a long journey to kind of get to this this process. But I think you've got to go through all those things um, to sort of find your place with the film, really. Well, yeah, and I guess I guess the you've got to give the film all the chances it can have, and if the Absolutely, traditional routes yeah. are there, you have to start there, don't you? I suppose. Yeah. yeah. Um, and you learn along the way. I mean, it's it just 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 before you get into the, um, the the what you what's happened with Clapham Picture House and the like with your self distribution. Um, is there any sort? Is there a couple of kind of lessons learned, whether it be in pre pre in development, in production, in post? Is there, any, is there a couple of things that you sort of think you'll be taking a little cling to you now going into your next future projects that you could pass on to the listener? Um, certainly, um, the thing would be, particularly if you're working on a micro budget or, or a very low budget, would be time. Um, if you haven't got money, you need time. And I wish we'd had a bit more time in pre-production um, okay. because preparation is, is key. It will save you money in the long run and it will sort of help you massively. <laughs> Um, so that would definitely be saying be as prepared as possible. Um, I did just have something, but it's gone out of my head. Do you want to wait? And, um, <laughs> I, I think, I, well, it's it's very it's it's very hard. I mean, I, I think the the thing that people don't tell you uh, to prepare for more than anything else is the psychological and spiritual strength you need to get through. Uh, the amount of rejection you're going to get and the hard work you're going to have to do. And you constantly keep having to pick yourself up. And uh, it's great. Go out and make the film, but you, you really have to be ready to be tough and not take any of that personally. It is a business and you'll either get lucky with these things. But, you know, it's been a very tough year for film. There's just been statistics from the BFI saying, you know, less are being made in the UK, less independent films. And it's if you're going to do it, you've got to be incredibly tough uh, otherwise <laughs> just, just well i get the, i get the impression that technology and the price of it has meant making films easier and easier in an expense sense yeah yeah, yeah. The distribution of movies is getting increasingly hard because obviously the channels are blocked more and more by bigger and bigger players yeah, yeah obviously definitely. if they let you in you're competing with their much more expensive product Yes. Yeah, it yeah. would be it'd be a bit like me and you coming up with a soft drink and Coca Cola giving us a concession stand to sit opposite them. Yeah, 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 yeah. absolutely. And absolutely. obviously that's business. And that's, again, that's why it was. I find it's 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 really fascinating that you you obviously went to business people <laughs> who were hearing it pictures as well as yours because yeah. the film is itself something to make money from, not just to show off. <laughs> yes. yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And actually the. the the picture house thing is working out, but also what we did, this was in the business plan. We sort of said, look, okay, we're making it for so little that it might take five years, but when it goes on iTunes and everything else, we should be able to get this back. We're not promising you millions. We're not doing that thing where people say, oh, yes, you know, this is going to be like Rocky. It's going to make a hundred million dollars uh, and it's only going to cost you a million. We didn't make false promises or, mm. or or inflated, inflated promises. We said, "Look, we're going to make it so little, and then it can go on iTunes, it can go on Amazon, it can go on this. There's more and more where we can make, you know, a quid or three back at a time. And over over the years, you should get your investment back. And if we have some lucky break at some point, you know, you might make a little profit. So, can you can you talk about what's happened with with Clapham Picture House things? I think I said that. I think it's, I mean. For those outside London, Picture House chain is a is a kind of independent. Well, it was independent, but it's it's now a subsidiary of Cineworld. But it, as far as I know, because I live near Hackney Picture House, mm. right. they act pretty independent from each other. Yeah, yes. and they have well, lots of kind of what you would call homegrown talent, for want of a better word, which seems seemingly is outside of the traditional distribution chains. So, how how did you guys get noticed by Clapham Picture House, and then um, what happened from there? Well, the the first um, meeting we had with them was actually our one our one a really good meeting in Cannes. Really, <laughs> uh, which was actually I was set, sat I didn't know I was but I was sat next to one of the head of acquisitions on the plane on the way out there, and there was a guy behind us snoring really loudly behind <laughs> us on the plane. We kind of kept giving each other kind of glances and giggling, um, and then we kind of got chatting. Um, 
and she said, oh, are you here for the festival? And I said, yes. And I, she said, oh, have you got a film? I said, yes. I said, what do you do? And she said, oh, I'm, I work with acquisitions. No, but it was because she, no, no. Oh, yeah. It, those weird random things. She noticed Carrie loves uh, uh, turquoise jewelry and she's wearing a turquoise ring. Yeah. And this woman loved turquoise, so she admired her ring. Oh, yeah. And then she said, oh, where did you get that? And I said, oh, Sedona. We just came back from a festival there. And that led on to the film conversation. Okay. And then... Um, she she said I said oh yes I'm here for a film who are you and she said oh acquisitions at the picture house and city screen so I was like oh fantastic here's my card here's my film please please come and see it yeah. and she was actually leaving Cannes before we were screening but she um, put us in contact with a guy who sort of took the um, DVD as with everything it's it's always very very slow because he was then going to he was busy in Cannes but said I'll come and see it at Love in June. Mm. Um, but then they had a crisis in the office, so then it was like, okay, send me a copy. And it took until, I think it was November. We were in St. Louis at the St. Louis Film Festival. We got an email from him saying, hey, this is good. We should see how it goes at Clapham. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and you replied, yes, not a great idea. Exactly, yeah, <laughs> exactly. yeah, yeah. Well, we'd met with some people. We'd met with some people who, who were saying, yes, you can do some of this. And we weren't sure. Well, we don't really have any money left we but we weren't sure if we'd have to try and raise some and do a little screening at somewhere like the Clapham Picture House and you know for wallet and and if, if we were going to do that we thought we'd wait until April or May hmm. after the whole Oscar season is gone and you know there's always that little dip where most of the films are rubbish <laughs> no one knows it. and uh, we thought that might be what we had to do and then we get this call in uh in November when we are St. Louis, saying, oh, no, let's do it as soon as possible. And we were like, oh, right, okay, yes, yes, you're offering us the cinema, great. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of on the proviso. He sort of said, do you think you can sell out one screening? And we sort of said, well, yes, we can sell out one screening. He said, okay, well, then let's, let's, let's do one screening and just see how it goes. Um, so he kind of set the date, which was the 19th of January, and um, he said, okay, well, he said it will go up on the site and you know you can start advertising do whatever you want to do and then literally within 24 hours of it being on the site and this was just it, before christmas so yeah. well over a month in advance yeah it, it sold out so he sort of phoned us and went oh have you, oh right should we put another one on we went yes please and then that sold out within 12 hours at which point we're suddenly because we've been kind of basically tweeting about it facebooking um and sort of i think the local paper at that point had done something on us we were kind of getting calls from people going, well, where can I get tickets for this? So I think it sort of took both us slightly, but certainly Clapham Picture House and the Picture House chain by surprise how quickly word got around and how much interest there was. And it's basically, it's kind of grown and snowballed from there where we had the BBC uh, London News do a really nice TV feature on us with Brenda Romanis and then Robert Elms interviewed us on the show because it's, it's kind of snowballed. We're up to 14 screenings now um and we've sort of sold out 10 in advance um and we're still booking up to march the 2nd so that's fantastic yeah and this is with no marketing budget or pr people i mean it's kind of Stuart and i phoning and pestering papers and um you guys and <laughs> and the bbc so it's and the rest of it now as well it's kind of local people who have seen the film um are now sort of tweeting to their friends so it's sort of building from there and actually I say local people actually last Thursday we were because uh, we're doing Q&A's at the moment after each screening there was a guy in the audience who was from France and he'd seen the BBC TV feature when he was in France and said oh I knew I was coming to London for a few days so I sought out your film so actually we're kind of getting yeah quite a decent spread of people sort of from London and, and France. And we're also, you know, it's like just the things you have to do. That we, we, We're on the door every night and we have been when people are going into the cinema and we hand everyone a leaflet and, and welcome them to the screening and thank them for coming. And on the leaflet it says, you know, if you enjoy the film, please tell your friends on mm. Twitter and Facebook and that. But also tell your friends who your neighbours are over the back fence or, you know, phone up. You know, your mom, if you know she'd love a film like this and really help us spread it. And we've been lucky. I think people are really doing that because I think social media can take you so far. And there's been a particular, people say, you know, the, there's a particular storyline that they've 
said that older audiences would really like who don't tend to be on Twitter and social media. So we're saying, you know, well, make sure you tell them. Maybe we should think about having a the clap and do silver screen uh, showings during the day as well. We should look at that. So it's it's really yeah. trying to target this, but get we're really relying on goodwill. As I said, I, uh, I did um I did a podcast with a guy who's trying to help save the Rivoli Cinema, which is a nineteen Art Deco cinema on the Isle of Wight. And that was obviously online, Indiegogo, tweeting and Facebooking. Mm. And then he learned pretty quickly, because obviously you imagine it's quite a grey, a greying population in Isle of Wight. Yeah. Mm. He had an old deer come in with a postal order <laughs> saying, How do I've heard about your campaign, how do I give? Oh right. <laughs> and at that point it was kinda like, you know, yeah, you realise yeah. that there's more but there's more than just simply hitting people who've got an iPhone. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and to be honest, we've had to kind of learn that we were we hadn't really tweeted until we got this screening. Mm. We weren't on Twitter. It was kind of like we'd done our Facebook page and that was it. So we've had to kind of learn quickly how to use this in order to, you know, help spread the word. Um, yes, I mean, I'm, I'm, my experience of Twitter is it's it's much better at the exponential kind of growth that, that Facebook doesn't. Facebook yes. is good yeah. for keeping a kind of peer group in, yeah. in the loop, but they'll get pretty bored of it. Whereas Twitter can have a life of its own that you're not in control of. Yeah. So well, that's so what we found. There was a first burst at some point, and then you know, and that got spreading around. And I think you know, this is what we're finding at the moment. We've got to get that next burst through that. But then we're find, trying all sorts of other things. That's the other thing is after the film's made, unless you do are lucky enough to get picked up by some big Hollywood people who are going to put the PR and everything behind you, you will still be sitting in your front room working on it 18 hours a day yeah so what what's what's next for common people then wait i mean this is obviously a, a good, a good if, you, if you're running through till march with it at the cinema that gives you that gives you a, it's, it's a living breathing film isn't it that you can yes. be telling you can be telling people about is there potential for it to mushroom out of there as it were well possibly i mean we did speak briefly to the pitch house just before they went off to berlin um and there is the possibility that they may, I mean, we haven't firmed anything up, but we've kind of floating the idea of perhaps extending it out to other picture house cinemas. Yeah. Even if it was just, you know, to, to other London venues for a kind of a one-off special with, with Q&A or whatever. Of course, yeah. Um, and then hopefully if we can sort of get a few dates sort of outside of London, sort of Brighton or York or, or what, you know, their other one of their other cinemas. Yeah. The moment that we kind of break, if you like, from the Clapham Picture House... Uh, we've spoken to quite a few, you know, national newspapers, and they've said, "Well, until you get a date outside of London, we can't cover it because people are because oh, everything's so London centric in in this country." They say, "Look, there's a real thing about we, we're covering something that's just at the Clapham Picture House. Why does anyone in you know the north of England want to know about yeah. that?" And there's uh, London kind of gets enough coverage, uh, so that's yeah. It could be that if we could keep the run going at the Clapham Picture House, you know, it, as its sort of regular thing that it's become at the moment, but then sort of start to do perhaps one-offs at other cinemas, that would kind of open the doors for doing kind of a big press screening where people would probably at that point come because they'd be willing to cover it because suddenly it's a national release, um, even if it's just a very limited one. No, no, I, I, get, I see what you're saying. No, I mean, it is, it's, that, it's that thing about how just showing it at one or two cinemas counts as a kind of national release, which helps market a DVD, doesn't it? In, exactly, in yeah. Which is, yeah. So, so all things being equal with uh, with common common people, and obviously it's it's an it's an organic, it's certainly an organic film now. Now you guys are in charge, and it sounds like you're putting your energies where where the film deserves it now, because obviously it's, it's it's finished, so it's about getting people to watch it. What what next for you guys in terms of film? Is there any film projects in the pipeline you could talk about, or is everything still a bit things you? No, we, we've we've been we well as I mentioned right at the beginning we were we got the idea for Common People because we had had to send uh, half a million pounds back to investors because it wasn't quite enough to make another film that mm. we do, uh, and that's called Body Checks and it's a romantic comedy set among an ice hockey team in Romford, Essex. And, you know, I know they make those every year. <laughs> well, I, live, I, live near, I live near Lee Valley Ice Rink, so I, yeah, right. it's, it's not as unusual for me as it might be for others. Yes. 
Um, and that's actually based on a stage play that Carrie and I produced a few years ago, and we got rave reviews for it. And when people saw it, the one thing we couldn't put on stage was the ice hockey. So it's, you know, now it's got the romantic comedy, but we'll have the violence and the speed and the sport action as well. Excellent. And, uh, and that's a script that's, that's ready to go, as it has been for a while, and, and we're starting to get interest now because of all the hard work we've done on Common People and all the... Like we're getting fantastic reviews on IMDb and Rotten Tomatoes and things like that. So people are, they, people, all the work has to lead to something else. And, uh, and then we have another one, which is uh, a sort of thriller set in the music industry. And because of that, slightly musical. And that's set in Hackney, which is called uh, Songs from a Gilded Cage. And okay. that's ready to go as well. And that would be even bigger budget. And I guess, given you're saying you're working together, then this you two are doing well then with each other working because it, it must yeah. get, it must be quite it must get quite cabin fever at times. <laughs> to be, uh, I mean, a film a film's an intense process at the best of times. So yeah, no, I mean, I mean, it is. I mean, but we've sort of we've been working. We met 15 years ago and have worked with on on various different projects on and off anyway. So yeah, yeah I mean, there's times when yeah all we talk about and all we think about is the same thing all day long and it's kind of it, it can get a bit oh, let's just get away from it mm. but um i think it, it it kind of helps if you've got somebody with you who's as driven as you are because then it means if one of you's down the other one can kind of give you a kick up the butt yeah um yeah, i think i think you know it's to do it on your own i think god wow hats off to anyone that just does it completely alone because it even as you know, the two of us sometimes it feels like a very lonely process. Um, mm. But we, we did discover it's 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 a slightly different scale. But when we did the stage play of Body Checks, that was again fringe, no money. You know, kind of a, it was kind of like the, it was like the stepping stone to making a, a micro budget film. Mm. And at the end of that, we were very pleased with what we'd done. We realised we worked really well together, and and so it's like. It's just been a process of toughening ourselves up a bit more as each goes, but yeah, we're we're good at keeping each other keeping each other going. Well, I'd I'd, I'd love to have you back on to talk about, in um, specifically talking about adapting a stage play for a screen. Mm. I mean, yeah, yeah. What, what you've already intimated there with the ability to big up the action and stuff, but also just just looking at a stage play and taking it to screen. I think that would be an interesting discussion to have. In a few sure. months' time, I guess. Um, now, I prepped you for this final question, so I'm sure you've got one—a that, film that's going to ring off the top of your head now, aren't you? Uh, yeah. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> can you rec for, for the listener? Can you recommend a British movie that you think is fairly underrated but deserves that bit more kudos? Underrated. Well, I don't. One of my favourite um, British movies, which actually I don't know whether everyone has watched. I know it certainly got a cinema release, and maybe it was quite big at the time, but a lot of people don't seem to watch it, and that is Brassed Off. Ah. I absolutely love that film, and I think everyone should watch it. I think it's an amazing piece of drama and political commentary and humour, tears, fabulous performances. Um, perhaps everyone's heard of it, but if they haven't, go and watch it. Give yourself a treat. You'll be, you'll be pleased to know you're the second person in, I think that's successive podcasts to say Brastoff. Oh, ah. really? Yes. Well, it's, it is a fantastic it's and I think it's kind of forgot, I think it's forgotten as much as anything else. That's why I ask this question. Oh, right. You, oh, can I tell no you? No pressure story? then, Stuart. No it's pressure. whether you want to use it or not. We, <laughs> we do love Brastoff. We've got uh, some Canadian friends who moved over uh, a few years ago. And they were just settling in, and I said, "Oh, you've got to watch this film. You're going to absolutely love this film." <laughs> so I said, "Oh, it's funny, and it's this, and it's this, and it's heartwarming." They watched it. They, they gave it back, and they said, "What do you mean it's funny? My God, we're so depressed and crying and everything else." So they said, "For God's sakes, a clown tries to hang himself." <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> so, Stuart, St have you got one of your own? Well, I. Uh, I wrap my brain, and I don't. I again, I'm gonna. I don't know if people have seen it. I I actually haven't seen it in years, but I know uh, one of David Lean's lesser-known films. Yeah, yeah. Ignored a, a, a film called Hobson's Choice, which starred uh, Charles Lawton, and I just remember seeing it. It's beautifully shot. It's David Lean. It's quite funny. Uh, John Mills lives under a in a down down under a shoe shop, and oh, this, I just this is an adaptation of the of the play. 
Yes, I guess it must be, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I read this at school. <laughs> ah. Yeah, great film. And, and as usual with David Lean, beautifully shot, but really lovely story as well. No, I don't think I've seen the movie, so thanks for that top tip. All right. Well, look, well, thank you, YouTube. That has been a, a really sort of informative and entertaining discussion of a of making a film. And and I think you know, I think one of the things I take from it is the, uh, I guess the perseverance and and sticking with it really is a key is a key part of of your success story. Because I'm guessing there's plenty of times when when it, when it wasn't going as well that it would have been easier to walk away from it than it would be to carry on. So I think. Oh, very much so, yeah. And at every step of the process. Yeah, yeah, no, and I think this is the important thing for people looking to get into film to understand it's not just a, you're not qualified to be an accountant, are you, when you're making a film? Nobody's going to say you've passed. Yeah. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, so, well, look, well, thank you very much for your time. This is, it's been great. And like I say, I'd, I'd, I'd love to get you back on to talk about your other projects. So you, you keep me posted of what's going on and uh, we'll, we'll slot things in when, it, when it's here. Great, great, definitely. All right, we'll take care. Good luck with the with the rest of the momentum you, you get with common people. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. Speak soon. Speak Great. soon. Take care. Cheers then. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.